Hey there, if you're listening to this and you support us on Patreon, you can hear it via the Patreon page ad-free. So now listen, gentlemen, it is start time. Are you ready for start time? You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're talking with Lucy Dacus about her 2021 album, Home Video. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, Jim and I have two new albums to review by Dolly Parton and Sasami. Just my old guitar and me How to find my destiny Nashville is the place to be That is a little bit of Big Dreams and Faded Jeans from the 48th album of Dolly Parton's career, Run, Rose, Run. Does Dolly Parton need uh, much introduction? Probably not, but her biography is fascinating. One of 12 kids raised on a beat-down farm in Locust Ridge, Tennessee, First TV appearance at age 12. By the next year, uh, at 13, she was signed to a small label starting her recording career. She wins the ear of Porter Wagner. They make several albums and many appearances of duets over the years. And by the mid-70s, she's striking out on her own as a solo artist. 1983 number one hits in a row, culminating with 9 to 5. She is an entrepreneur. She is a... A film actress, she is a philanthropist, and she is a woman who uh, has principles. Uh, Greg, uh, the two of us often make fun of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which can be very political, and sometimes it seems as if uh, the actual inductees uh, are getting that honor as much to appear at a demand concert uh, as uh, for having earned it. Um, Dolly was one of this year's uh, nominees, and she just requested on March 14th that she be taken out of the running, even though voting has started, because she said uh, she's never made a rock and roll album yet. She'd like to in the future. (laughs) A striking comment. This new album, Run, Rose, Run, also marks a new page in her career, if you will. Uh, She co-wrote a novel with James Patterson, the prolific fiction factory. And so this is a concept album based on the character from this book. Let's play a song from the album, Run, Rose, Run, and we'll come back and we'll give our reviews on Dolly Parton. This is Driven by the great Dolly Parton. Driven, driven to be smarter, driven to work harder, driven to be better every day. Driven, yes, you got me, nothing you cannot achieve. Take the wheel and just believe that you can change your life. That is driven by Dolly Parton. The new album is Run, Rose, Run. Just believe you can change your life, it says in that <laughs> just song. Believe. Is it easy? No. No, it's but not But just easy. believe, she says. Well, and there's a lot of empowering messages here. In a lot of ways, this is kind of loosely based on Dolly's own story, right? You know, to be a songwriter and a woman 
and a Nashville uh, outsider, uh, all in all in one package. Uh, that was quite a set of hurdles for her to clear, and mm. she did that with a plum. What we're getting here is sort of a, a middle of the road version of Dolly. I mean, yeah. at her best, she is sort of hardcore country slash bluegrass slash honky tonk and writing in a very personal populist vein. Then there's the cornball dolly that surfaced in the 80s, you know, the 9 to 5 dolly, which people yeah, love, you know. Yeah. But no, there 9 was, to 5 is a great song. And for good reason. It, you know, they had, had that, those self-empowering, yeah. you know, woman power messages very early on here, and she was always delivering them. It's more or less, what, what kind of a musical setting are they in? You know, since about 99, she's been delivering some pretty good records uh, that are, are more steeped in that Coat of Many of Colors many era Dolly, mm. you know, less of the country pop stuff. Here she's sort of venturing, you know, she's kind of in the middle of the road, and there's part of her that's going on the right side of the white stripe and part of her going on the left side of the white stripe, yeah. you know, and you're getting yeah. some of that cornball stuff. I mean, it's hard for me to want to listen to a song like Woman Up and Take It Like a Man More Than Once. I, Once you I get know. past the, uh, the original punchline, you go, this is the kind of cornball stuff that Nashville got mocked for. Be tough enough to take control and make demands Look like a woman, think like a man Be as good as or better than Woman up and take it like a man when it started becoming more, quote-unquote, sophisticated, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be more clever, but it, yeah. it, it's just kind of dumb. And especially for a songwriter of Dolly's quality to be writing that kind of stuff, it's kind of disappointing. But I have to say about two-thirds, half to two-thirds of the record is, you know, what we want from Dolly in terms of that authenticity, you know. Mm. The, the, the woman that you expect her to be steeped in the traditional values of what country music used to represent with some cracking tunes. I mean, some of the bluegrass-based stuff is pretty solid on this record. It's not the greatest Dolly record ever made. It's not the worst. It's kind of in the middle of the road like this, this record is. Well, you know, at this point in her career, she, she should be taking a victory lap. You know, I would like to see her recognized for the songwriting and for the power of that voice. And this has become a Jim cliche, uh, Greg. But can you imagine what this record could have sounded like, even with the, uh, the, the goofier moments like Woman Up and Take It Like a Man or Snakes in the Grass, if Jack White or Dan Auerbach had produced it? Well, how about uh, somebody like Amanda Shires had, had produced oh, it? Or, oh, or, yes. or Phoebe yes. Bridgers or yes. somebody like that. Yes. You know, I think I, I would have loved to have heard what that would have been. And she deserves that. Yeah. You know, the way that Rick Rubin gave us a new light on Johnny Cash, uh, you know, something like that. She really does deserve it. And I was really listening hard because the production is so cheesy. Mm -hmm. You were saying 80s. I think it, it's back to the Nashville 70s pop, really goofy, right to the point where you have a guy with a baritone you mm -hmm. know, really buried in the mix, like echoing her choruses mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And of course, Snakes in the Grass, when she's singing about snakes, she has to go, yeah. you know. <laughs> All right, Dolly, 
you know, somebody should have been there saying, uh, let's pull this back and let's rough it up a little bit. But the melodies themselves and the lyrics would stand on their own, mm-hmm. given a different production. And these are not bad songs. And, and some of the lyrics, you know, Demons is a really haunting song. She duets the way she once did with uh, Porter Wagner uh, with Ben Haggard. Yeah. Demons, demons, we both had enough of our own. Demons, demons, we don't have to fight them alone. Um, That's a good song. That is a good song, but can you imagine if it hadn't been overproduced the way it is? Mm -hmm. With most of Dolly's records, it's the production makes it or sinks it, because usually... She's spot on with lyrics, uh, yeah. you know, and, and that, that's, this is no exception. Well, that all having been said, it is Dolly's world, and you and I are lucky to live in it. Yeah, absolutely. Another day without peace of mind inside. What's there to say when there's nothing left to say to make it right? That is Make It Right from the new Sasami record, Squeeze, the second album from this Squeeze. Los Angeles rocker. Uh, Sasami Ashworth, classically trained multi-instrumentalist and producer, graduated from the Eastman School of Music, Jim. Yeah. Uh, back, back in my old neck of the woods, uh, Rochester, New York. I her, was her I main in Syracuse. Um, many. She plays everything, right? Uh, uh, but she is Keys. a virtuoso on French horn. French horn. Uh, she's, uh, she's, that's how she made her living early on. Yeah. It was not, you know, the French horn, the classical orchestrations for movies, commercials, some albums. She's a music teacher in Los Angeles. In 2015, she, you know, Cherry Glazer, uh, you know, said, hey, come come and play with yep. me, you know, on synths and uh, a tour for more than two years with that band. Clearly, she had things to say. And she said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take a break from the band. I'm going to start putting out my own records. Domino signed her. No small uh, label. I mean, one of the most respected indie labels in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the home of Arctic Monkeys, uh, Wet Leg, Animal Collective. They signed Sasami to a deal her self-titled debut album came out in 2019, um, and now we have a follow-up. Um, there's a lot to talk about here because the sound is very different from that debut record, yeah. and we're going to get into that in a minute. But let's play a track from the new record. I think if you're familiar with Sasami's debut record, you're going to be blown <laughs> away by this track. Skinnerat from Sasami on Sound Opinions. is Skin a Rat, the opening track on the second album by Sasami. It's called Squeeze, the record, Greg. And uh, wow, what a burst of uh, industrial noise rock aggression. Um, You know, a lot of people are saying the outlier uh, for this record, uh, shifting away from the shoegaze dream pop sounds of her debut, was a cover she did uh, in 2021 of uh, System of a Down and the song Toxicity. A lot of people are saying uh, it's kind of uh, gonzo artistic metal in spots, this new record. Others are saying, imagine 
nine inch nails jamming with Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. That's not what I hear. I hear that kind of extreme diversity. In fact, if you've just got this playing on your streaming service of your choice, you may think from song to song, these are different artists. I hear her veering between uh, Sonic Youth and the Bangles, amazingly, mm. at some points. Mm-hmm. Um, there's almost a power pop, jangle pop, uh, kind of mid-80s feel to a few songs. Um, you know, it is a concept album of sorts, talking about her ancestors who were Koreans who lived in Japan forcibly after World War II under the finger of the Japanese. And there's something to do with a uh, snake god mm-hmm. <laughs> who um, preys on the wicked but is a monster but doesn't, doesn't hurt the innocent. Um, I hear a young woman coming into her own, battling both insecurities and thinking she's great, and uh, battling balancing, looking for love but not wanting to be dependent. So if you think of it as uh, alternating currents, if you will, two extremes uh, at opposite poles, it kind of makes sense for the album to veer as dramatically sonically as it does lyrically. And no matter what mode she is in, Sasami is just amazing. There's not a bad song on this album as far as I'm concerned. There are some experiments that aren't 100% fully formed, but I love this record. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too, and I have to say I was su- surprised. I'm listening to this record. I'm blown away. I mean, yeah. Skinner Rat was just kind of like, wow. wow. I know. I mean, I was like, this was not expected. And as you said, that the the influence of some some heavier metal uh, definitely crept into her arranging ideas. It's interesting. This album cover portrays her as a uh, a snake with the head of a woman. That's right? that snake goddess yes. monster, yes. It's a supernatural creature in, in Japanese folklore. It's interesting. We've got these mythological creatures on album covers lately. Shamir oh, yeah. did a similar thing on his record. Now we have Sasami. Two songwriters, I think, who are really putting together parts that seemingly don't fit. I think it's almost a metaphor for what's going on here. There's that soft side you talk about, it, that the heavy side that mm-hmm. you talked about. And... In in an album about relationships, it really works well as a reflection of what the lyrics are saying. These partners are not connecting. Neither is the music. The music is dissonant. It can be pretty, and then it can be ugly. It can be noisy, and then it can be soft. And, And at the same time, her brilliance as an orchestrator, as an arranger, as a producer as a multi-instrumentalist, being able to put these pieces together and make them work as sort of this shape-shifting piece of music um, is really extraordinary. There are moments worthy of the best orc pop record you can name uh, in terms of of pure beauty. I I disagree with everybody saying metal, though. To me, it's way more noise rock. And and one of the auteurs there is Ty Siegel, king of the fuzz garage record. He helped her with the production. I think it's a little uh, metal uh, connotes virtuosity. Yeah. And, uh, And this is more like chaos i was thinking a little bit like a band like sun too that same kind of heaviness you know this heavy droning kind of stuff that was uh there's a there's a bottom to this record that i was i was not expecting anyway 
So Sami's record is uh, amazing. So those are our reviews of Dolly Parton and Sasami. Give us a call. Let us know what you think about it. Share your thoughts and a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org, and we may play it on the show. Coming up, we're going to talk with Lucy Dacus and hear recent listener voicemails. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we're back. Lucy Dacus, what a brief but amazing career she's had, starting out with her debut album, No Burden. It was almost an, a- an afterthought. She wasn't really thinking about becoming a musician or mm. a songwriter. And all of a sudden, this album appears and becomes uh, critically acclaimed almost instantly. And f- for good reason. She has established herself as one of the best songwriters to emerge in the last five years. Immediately signed to Matador Records, her second album, Historian, was released in 2018, further acclaim, hooks up with Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker, only two of the other great songwriters yeah, of this era, what a trio. for an incredible six-song EP under the moniker Boy Genius. Uh, needless to say, the anticipation for Dacus' third studio album, Home Video, released last year, was very high, and she more than lived up to those expectations. She absolutely did, Greg. We have been trying to talk to Lucy since last year. First, uh, we were going to sit down in person with her when she was on tour, got derailed by COVID. This interview, she threw out her back the night before, and mm. she was lying yeah. on a couch and couldn't move, but, but she still wanted it to happen, and you would never know. Lucy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure, and uh, we're big fans, obviously, of the, of the music you've made, and uh, in particular, home video the record that came out last year, you're talking a lot about your upbringing in, in this record, right? I mean, this yes. is kind of you looking back. Being back here makes me hot in the face Hot blood in my pulsing veins Heavy memories weighing on my brain Hot and heavy in the basement of your parents And the thing that struck me about it is that so many people, so, so many artists that I've talked to over the years, they, they, they've always been about... I got to get out of town. I got to escape the past. I've got to, you know, I'm, I'm being locked in here. And it's really hard to look at that sort of with a kind of a, a long lens, which obviously you have. So I'm, I'm curious about how, what the process of you being able to look back at that time instead of leaving it behind like a, a lot of people do when they're, when they're going out to make their fortune in the world. I think that Part of why it's easier for me is actually because I was never like that. I wanted to live in Richmond my whole life, and I was ready to do that. But something changed when I started touring, and coming home felt complicated, and people's idea of me changed. And on a personal level, but also strangers, you know, people just started to treat me different, and it kind of made the city, um, it didn't really feel like it was mine anymore, like... It was sort of like a breakup even. And I still love Richmond and I think I'll probably move back at some point. But um, I moved to Philly and that gave me a lot of space to like think about what Richmond means to me. And it means a lot. And yeah, like all those songs are so connected to that place in my head. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it comes across to other people, but for me, it was sort of like an homage to my hometown. Mm, that's interesting. No, I mean, to me, I got to use, Lucy, uh, one of my favorite words, uh, being a part-time English professor. It, it, it's a Bildungsroman. Yes. It is a coming-of-age story, you know? Bildungsroman. And, and it's, 
it's universal, you know, in some ways, even though, you know, I've never been to religious summer camp and certainly never had an experience like thumbs um, mm-hmm. uh, or feelings like that. Uh, but Good for you. Um, <laughs> there are, mm. well, yeah, I'm mm. not bragging. I, you know, there's a universality to it uh, in looking back, it Thank seemed you. to me. So, so to hear that a lot of it was inspired by Richmond, it's like, well, I think, it, you know, even if you're from Jersey City or upstate New York, like Cot, mm. uh, you know, I related. That's cool. It's been cool to realize that getting more specific actually has made it more relatable. I thought that mm. wouldn't be the case, but um, like, I think I've always wanted to make music that anybody could understand. Like the communicative element of music is what appeals to me. And so I thought if I tried to rep represent myself really specifically i'd start to alienate people but i think the opposite has happened and i'm really happy about that one of the things that struck me lucy about the record you know um you're naming names you're it it, these people are very specific very real i saw some interviews that you did right around the time of the release and um obviously you're drawing very specifically about real people in your life and uh you were you were at the time of those interviews, you realized that there could be some pushback, some feedback from the people that these songs were written about. Yeah. So I'm curious, what did you hear after the record came out and people listened to it and said, wait a minute, that song's about me? Yeah, I mean, there was one big moment. Uh, the person that Brando is about reached out to me, and I think of that song as kind of cheeky and lighthearted, but honest, hmm. and things that I have said to him in real life but uh, he took it very hard and it it was good for me to hear that i'm in a second story window and you're yelling at me stella and i'm laughing because you think you're brando but you'll never come close all i need for you to admit is that you never knew me like you thought you did you never knew me like you thought you did, like you thought you did. I, I think it's fiction. You know, even if I know who it's about, I think it's fine to write a song from your own experience. I don't regret writing it. But um, I think he would have liked if I had captured our whole friendship instead of this one aspect that maybe he isn't proud of. Um, and there are things that I have taken away from that friendship that are meaningful. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've got what three minutes to say something, yeah. so yeah. I can't I can't write the full history of everything in a song, and I don't think that should be anybody's goal either. I mean, it could be somebody's goal, right? Like the the great American novel version of a song. Maybe it's like a couple hours long, but um, it wasn't lost on me that what I say affects people. <laughs> Hmm. Well, that is the danger of being friends with a writer, is you never know what aspect <laughs> of your life will appear in somebody's writing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same in prose as it is, Lucy, in a song. Yeah. My mom definitely, I I have written one song about her, and she actually loves it. But she'll read my interviews and be like, that's not what happened. Like, you don't remember. <laughs> be- like, because I'm talking about my childhood a lot. And, you know, she was there. She saw it. Yeah with the mind of an adult. And so she saw maybe more clearly what was going on. Whereas like I have these impressionistic, very visceral memories that are true for me, whether or not they happened. (laughs) And I think a lot of the time, like they are still true. Like it's not like I completely misremembered my life, but um, it's almost like the use of a memory is to get a point across. 
about how you felt at a time. Just the way like a photograph is not true because you have to crop out everything else. Like Mm -hmm. a memory can only contain so much. So, yeah. But I I do get, you know, editor's notes from my mom. (laughs) I think all moms are like, my mom was always like that too. That's not what happened, James. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, mom, I was there. Yeah. Want to ask about Boy Genius and uh, what the experience of working with uh, two other great songwriters, Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker, in that trio, what that brought you in terms of when it was time to make home video and, and write these songs? Well, I had written a good amount of them like while Boy Genius was happening. I mean, I wrote Thumbs before our Boy Genius tour. But yeah, like writing with them changed how I write everything, I think, because. I think that they have different metrics for success. And so that was able to expand my metrics. And I think that being funnier and being darker and being more honest are all things that I got from that experience. Mm. Let's talk about Thumbs. What an extraordinary song. Thank you. I would kill him if you let me. I would kill him quick and easy Your nails are digging into my knee I don't know how you keep smiling I gathered from some interviews that Julian and and Phoebe, you were on the fence about whether to even play it, and they were like, no, 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 this is one that Mm -hmm. is a keeper. Yeah, it's just so brutal, and I don't know. I don't want to make people feel bad, but I think that expressing bad emotions can actually provide some solace that makes people feel better, and that's why I'll keep singing it. And I am proud of it, like, as a song and, like, as a story, so I'm glad they encouraged me to share it. Well, you have a relationship with them that's obviously very very real and very rich um you know they appear on the record and there's some uh, conversation that you have with them at the end of the song on on the record that you included in that (laughs) yeah that was the one i think yeah that was great that's what we were looking for thanks guys yeah cool wow i am so happy thank you everyone for doing this i I owe y'all whatever you ask of me for the rest of my life. (laughs) That sense of camaraderie, the fact that you were able to work together struck me as so interesting because if it was a bunch of guys, I could see a a, a sort of a rivalry thing happening almost. Like, you know, they're three songwriters and like, I want to write a better song than you. (laughs) Um, and, And the other thing is you're writing these great songs and like, man, I would have saved that for my solo record. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. want to give it to this, this group, but I thought each one of you came up with two great songs on that record. Thank you. And it was like, yeah, I mean, I, I love that Boy Genius EP. I can't touch you, I wouldn't if I could, I can't love you how you want me to, I can't love you how you want me I can't love you how you want me to. And you always think like, oh, it's just kind of a side project. But it seemed like the three of you all 
really invested in it more than just emotionally and as friends, but as like, these are, these are really going to be top-notch songs. So I'm just curious about the mindset that you had going into it. And if, and if anything about that process with working with Julian and Phoebe um, surprised you. Yeah, I think the mindset was actually such low expectations. That's why we were able to make it in four days. And, uh, you know, we were going on tour together. We were intending to just record a cover. And then we were like, maybe we can do an original song together. Uh, And then it became six songs. So I think not having anyone expect it of us let us discover like what we want from each other. And yeah, it just kept it fun and kept us feeling like we were in control. And um, I don't know, kept us honest to our own desires, which I think is one of the best things you can do as an artist. And I think Phoebe and Julian are really good at that. And four days is like, nobody had time to overthink it. We're just going to do this. Yeah, no. Like we probably did three takes of each track. <laughs> just like, cool, that's the best one. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Well, similarly, uh, so so the Boy Genius experience took you to a new level. What did uh, playing around with covers, your extraordinary cover of uh, Edith Piaf's La Vie en Rose, uh, you know, what, what does that do for you? That was so much fun. Again, that was without any expectations. I just booked studio time and did some covers and some originals just because. And I feel a sense of freedom when like there's not a deadline and there's not an expectation. And what's so great about doing covers is you can inhabit somebody else's frame of mind. And also like in the studio, you can learn so much about engineering and about production choices. And Mm. like when we recreated In the Air Tonight, the Phil Collins song... I feel like I learned so much about synths and then used that on home video in ways that I think are pretty interesting. So I don't know. I want to make time for that throughout my career, just like making things for my sake and whether or not I'm going to share them with people. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of listeners don't understand. Uh, you know, a cover isn't even necessarily a tribute to the artist. It's you uh, getting inside and, and like, schooling yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You have to think differently than the way you think in order to perform uh, a cover to do certain things. Yeah, it's a great exercise. Okay, so we were chatting before we started uh, taping. You're, you're on the couch because you've, you've hurt your back. Uh, we were supposed to do a live event uh, a couple of months ago. In that, Remember that brief window when we thought the plague had passed, right? Yes. Things were opening up. Everything was great. Lucy Dacus, we're going to do live <laughs> sound opinions. Our fans were so excited. We were so excited. You were excited. You oh were on gosh. the road. I was excited. And then somebody got COVID in the band. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, I hate to bring up bad memories, Lucy, but what was, I mean, it just underscores that the, what's happening to so many people, the setbacks these days. Yeah. I mean, it did suck so much. It was so bad. And I wish we could have done that because I was looking forward to it. But yeah, our guitarist got COVID and we had to leave him in Iowa City. And then we canceled oh. like three or four shows, including our Italia Hall show. We got to do our other Chicago show. We still had some really great shows. And like, I was talking with my band about this, like that was probably the worst tour ever because it was COVID and 
we were on a bus for the first time, but the bus was like breaking down and like a window flew out and hit my drummer in the face and almost cut his eye. And mm. our wow. driver got electrocuted because the air conditioning was leaking and broken. And it was like a terror tour, like really <laughs> yeah. like final destination. We were not supposed to get through that tour. But I also kind of feel like it was the best tour we ever did because the crowds are so like ready to be out. Like people mm. were like feral. People were very excited. And like, I think I like these songs like better than all my past songs, like home video. Yeah. I, I cherish the shows that we did get to play. Knowing you as a songwriter, I would dare say you probably have a bag of new ones, right? Yeah. I'm always writing. <laughs> so if you're not looking uh, back to your childhood, where are you hoping to go next? Um, I feel like I would really like to be able to express my more em embarrassing feelings and like not just storytelling, like trying to grapple with like how I feel because a, a home video, almost every song is about someone else. And I think you learn a lot about me based off how I explain things and like how I interact with other people, but I haven't really written that much about me yet like i think i have kept it pretty abstract when i talk about myself so yeah i'm just trying to get closer to the core of who what, i what, am what, what kind of embarrassing feelings <laughs> um like like love honestly like just mm. uh things that i i'm trying to decide how much i need to keep sacred for myself and not put into my music like i don't really write love songs I've got Night Shift, which is a breakup song. I have one song about having a crush on my first record. And then I have all these like love songs for friends or like complex relationship type of songs, but just a straight up like I love you type of song, like in a romantic context, just not something I've done yet. So mm. maybe I will. Those are hard to write though. I've, yeah. I've, you know, there's a few billion of those out there already, right? It's kind of mm -hmm. like, how do you express this emotion in a personal way, right? Yeah, Brian Eno yeah. said, there's right. no need in pop music for another love song ever. <laughs> uh -huh. And that was 30 years ago now. Yep. I think it would be a great challenge to be able to write one that is worth hearing, you know, that isn't redundant. Yeah. Yeah. That says something new. It's a triple dog day or a chicken if you don't. After a short break, we'll talk about the implications of Lucy's song, Thumbs, and later we're going to hear listener feedback. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions. And we are back. We're talking with Lucy Dacus about misconceptions some fans have about certain musicians. Let's jump back into the conversation. The other one is that uh, you're an Americana artist and you're serious. And I'm thinking, I always thought you were funny, even on the first record, first time I saw you, you were, you were you know, doing that song about you were swapping spit with somebody, mm -hmm. you know, just cracked up. The first time I tasted somebody else's spit, I had a coughing fit. And <laughs> on this record, the Brando song that we talked about earlier, you called me cerebral, or would it kill you to call me pretty instead? Mm -hmm. I just thought that line was great, uh, funny. Thanks. You call me cerebral, I didn't know what you meant, but now I do. Would it have killed you to call me pretty 
I'm just curious about the conceptions that have sort of built up around the fact that you're a woman who writes your own songs and therefore you're in this category. Um, it seems like people like yourself and Phoebe and Julian are breaking down those barriers. But I mean, how's that? Do you feel that, that there is a barrier there that, that you need to break down? Um, I don't feel like it takes much force. Um, I think actually, like, if whatever barrier you're talking about, people are going to leave it behind out of boredom. You know, there's just going to be enough great music, like, with or without this definition of being, like, a a female singer-songwriter or whatever. Like, I, I feel people getting bored. I'm bored of that classification. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope people just listen to the music outside of uh outside of that even though i do think there is something important you know for like young people to have role models and like i don't think that's everybody's job um is to be a role like you don't have to be a role model all the time but i i think it's powerful to see someone doing something because it shows you that you're capable of it do you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying but um, yeah. there's enough of that now that I'm just I'm not really worried about it. Uh, like people thinking that they're not able to do something. Like the, yeah, I'm not worried really about young girls thinking like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm not meant to be a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're. Uh, I, we we talking about new stuff, and I I noticed that uh, there's a new single, "Kissing mm-hmm. Lessons," that just came out. Great rock song. Thank you. And that's from. The sessions for this record or where did that come from yeah it's actually the first song that i wrote for home video and we tried to record it in the home video sessions and actually like a year before just to start messing around i think i recorded it during the sessions for the 2019 ep um oh wow okay and then we re-recorded it again and it's cute i really like it but it's it's too much of a bop you know like home video was more lush <laughs> And uh, kind of like smooth and like kissing lessons is like angular and punky. So it just didn't fit in. Um, uh-huh. So I'm glad we figured out a way to show it to people. She called me by the name of her crush. I couldn't decide if she was cold or just in. I think I called her baby a darling most of the time. White's label is doing this um, Carol King Central Park show, mm-hmm. and you're involved with that too, to an extent, right? You're doing some covers on that as well. We talked about covers earlier. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about Carol King, uh, her influence on you, if if there was yeah. an influence. It was a huge honor to be asked. I listened to her growing up. That's like one of the ten CDs that was on high rotation growing up, and when I listened to Tapestry back recently I was like wow she really taught me so much about songwriting like she's so clever and like she says things in such a simple way um but her voice is so emotive and she's like the queen of internal rhyme powerful stuff thinking that her voice wasn't good enough yeah (laughs) who who was she to be a singer it's like wow you know yeah I relate to the part of her story where she basically got peer pressured into having a career. <laughs> like yeah. I mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to be a musician. Like obviously we're we are we are not the same 
she had a job in music before her career, but I love that all her friends were like, shut up, believe in yourself. You're so right. good. And she was like, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> like, All right, if you insist. Yeah, I, I relate to having pushy, supportive friends and that being like a major reason that I show anybody anything. Um, mm, mm. Yeah. And gun but forced. I love that, that you were pushed into the career. It seemed, it, it seemed like it worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Are you happy that you took that route? Oh, yeah. No second thoughts, no, no regrets at all, right? Uh, you know what? It's funny. I was just thinking about this. It's like the best job ever. But if someone had told me like, okay, here are all of the bad things that will happen. Like, here's all the good and all the bad. I'm not sure what I would have chosen to just like continue working hmm. nine to five or doing this. Right. Um, and that's the honest answer. You know, I think that my back being hurt like this and having throat problems and, um, yeah, the kind of like the, the change that happened in Richmond, it hasn't been all fun, you know, but mm-hmm. it's still like, I, there's not really anything else I'd rather do. Yeah. There was this interview that you gave around the time that, um, home video came out. And I want to throw a quote back at you and you were commenting on the song VBS, uh, vacation Bible school describe yourself as I was a straight-laced, hard-ass, morally superior 13-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> true. And that's true. And, and um, you're lo- looking back on yourself, and you, in a way you're judging yourself. Do you feel you have evolved beyond that point, or are you still straight-laced, hard-ass, and morally superior? <laughs> I hope not. I think I'm much less so than I was then, because the moral superiority in that case was sort of this, like, well, I'm saved by God, and so, you know, people who aren't, like, I hope they find their way sort of mm-hmm. mentality, which isn't really a part of my life anymore. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to think that I've grown. It's been, that was half a <laughs> lifetime ago, so. Yeah, BBS is a hoot, but but Thumbs, you know, I would kill him if you let me. And and in the most graphic way, Thumbs <laughs> threw the guy's eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. That is hardcore horror movie, uh, yeah. Lucy. It's a song about uh, somebody who's been mistreated, and you're with them as they encounter their abuser. So we meet him at a bar. You were holding my hand hard. He ordered rum and coke I can't drink either anymore He hadn't seen you since the fifth grade Now you're 19 and you're 5'8 He said, honey, you sure look great Do you get the checks I send on your birthday? I've also heard you you, uh, talk in interviews about um, the role of protector yeah. And yeah. that's not one that you hesitate for. You you think we ought to stand up for each other and protect each other. Absolutely. And it's I think it's easier than you'd think. Like just being there was enough. You know, just showing mm-hmm. up is a mm-hmm. part of protection. Um advocating for people to themselves is a part like encouraging people to protect themselves and be like you don't have to do anything, you know. You can you can opt out, um, be good to yourself. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's it's something that I really value in my friends I that protect me. I think that I am really quick to protect people just because I've benefited from it so much. 
Well, and I, you know, I, I hate uh, women in rock questions, uh, the, the horriest cliche in the world. We're talking to Lucy Dacus because she's a great artist, not because she's a great woman artist. <laughs> Thank you. But um, at this moment in time, with the Me Too uh, battles, you know, it seems like two steps forward and then one step back often. So given protector and your embrace of that what what's the responsibility of a, of a young woman artist on the road uh encountering the crap that still exists out there in the music world yeah you know? i feel like if anybody has a responsibility it's to themselves and i need to remember that also that like mm. i I have such a fear of being labeled a diva because, you know, when you encounter somebody that, you know, you run into somebody that, you know, you know, and they don't know you and you remember what they did and you kind of make a judgment call like, oh, this person was nice or this person was a jerk. Like I can feel that happening whenever I meet people, people are trying to sum up whether I am nice or a jerk or like, <laughs> uh, kind or a diva like all the time and so i always want to fall in on the a side 20 of, second interaction yeah <laughs> yeah like or you know i'll be at a restaurant and someone will come by and uh you know want to talk to me for 15 minutes even though i'm meeting up with a friend i haven't seen in a couple years you know hmm. but you don't want to be like hey go away <laughs> mm -hmm. i'm yeah. i'm doing mm -hmm. something because you don't want people to think that you're a diva basically all to say i think that protecting myself is more important than other people thinking that I'm a diva. So when I know what I need in order to feel safe or to feel genuine rest or to feel like my life is my own, I need to prioritize those things. And that will affect me and the people in my personal life all for the better. And mm -hmm. I hope people won't think I'm a diva for that. But, you know, it's just true that probably some people won't get the full story every time. Well, and you can do it in you can do it in a way that's respectful, or you can mm -hmm. do it by being a jerk, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just have a hard time imagining you being a jerk. <laughs> Thanks. If you guys don't mind, would you please bring a couch onto stage because I'm sort of <laughs> almost crippled right now. Yeah. yeah. I hope I'm not a jerk. I try not no, to be. Not. I I have told people sometimes like, I got to be real. I'm in such a terrible mood that if we talk right now, you're not gonna like. <laughs> remembering me this way so <laughs> i've got to back i got to back out of this situation right. so i think that, that's a good way to diffuse it i like that yeah, <laughs> that's excellent well we've been talking to lucy dacus it's been a complete pleasure the only thing that would have been more fun uh lucy is uh, is uh, having you in person as we had yeah. planned to and and of course you not being in pain <laughs> yes that would be more fun maybe someday <laughs> But we do love uh, home video, so thanks for talking to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. In the summer of 07, I was sure I'd go to heaven, but I was hedging my bets at VPS. That's it for our interview with Lucy Dacus, but we want to hear from you. Share your thoughts at soundopinions.org so we can share them on the show. That's what these listeners did. New messages. Yeah, hi, this is Michael in Oregon, and uh, thinking about getting away. So I'll tell you what come to mind is a number of years ago, my wife and I sold our house in Virginia to move to England for three years. And as part of that process, we had to move all of our stuff to uh, storage in Oregon. 
following standard family road trip protocol for the playlist, one of my items on day one was Magic Carpet Ride by Steppenwolf. <laughs> it inspired us. We actually made it the theme song for the whole cross-country trip. Well, you don't know. I just finished listening to your episode on Sing Speak songs, which I really appreciated because I don't normally like those songs, and you gave me a new appreciation for them. During COVID, it was really important to me to discover new artists, and one of my favorite recent discoveries is a young American woman named Cassandra Jenkins, and she has a wonderful Sing Speak song that was a real balm to me during these last few months of COVID. It's called Hard Drive. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. When you told me about chakras and karma and the purple flame, the birth of the cosmos, the ascended masters, and the astral plane. He said, you know, the mind. Just listen to your episode about the uh, speak singing songs. I thought everything that you chose was amazing. Uh, really good representatives of the genre. I suggest from my early punk days, uh, it's going to be one, Romeo Void, Never Say Never. Also, maybe better known as uh, I Might Like You Better. I think she was amazing. Uh, it's an amazing song, uh, mostly spoken. Thanks a lot. Love your show. Keep it on. guys, Fernando. I'm calling from Czech Republic. So I'm calling about uh, Proko Harum. I was very sad to hear that Gary Brooker passed away. Uh, if there's a song that I feel represents that is She Wandered Through the Garden Fence. It's a song that I really love and, and really made me realize like what an interesting band this is, you know, because it's a song that talks about a story that is just very sort of dreamlike. It just sounds great and, you know, this is a song which, which I love personally and yeah. Bye guys, thanks. My name is Tara and I'm a listener here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I was listening to your recent show about getaway songs and it made me think of a song, Elvis Costello and Jimmy Cliff's Seven Day Weekend that starts off with a line, Monday's calling you too early when you're sound asleep. And that line resonates with me every time I hear it. It is a great song to break out when you are ready to upend your time and make every day your weekend. No more messages. Always love the listener feedback, Greg. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, a bunch of new records we want to review in a big record review roundup. And do not forget to check out our bonus podcast where this week Jim's adding a song by Volcano Sons to the Desert Island Jukebox. Gotta love Volcano Sons, Greg. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, and our intern, Mary Bernthal. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott.